Hello, and welcome to Stonebridge Community Church's online service. I am Pastor John, the senior pastor of Stonebridge Community Church, and we are glad that you're connecting with us through our online service. This week, we'll be continuing our look at the Sermon on the Mount in the sermon series, Fulfilled, where we're looking at Jesus's instructions to his disciples. So if you are ready to come and join us in person, know that you are welcome here, and we would love to have you here with us worshiping. We have a Saturday evening service at 5.30, a Sunday morning service at 9 o'clock, and a Sunday morning service at 10.30. And the 10.30 one is outdoors for those who aren't comfortable coming indoors yet. But come and join us when you are ready. We pray that the Holy Spirit guides you through your worship this week. And know that this way the service goes is we'll do these announcements. Then we'll have the Word of God read, the Word of God preached, and a couple songs to guide you in your worship. But may God bless you where you are and let us worship. For those of you I haven't met yet, I am Pastor John, one of the pastors here. And before we dive into the sermon, obviously, the baby isn't here. My wife is expecting, for those of you who don't know, in any day now, I could just disappear from your lives for a month um, to be at home helping my wife with our new child. Um, but the baby isn't here yet, so here I am. Looking forward to preaching to you all. The other thing I wanted to address here is... You may have picked up on that for those of you who come here regularly that oftentimes I don't give you a lot of clear answers in my preaching. And it's because I don't know if scripture always provides clear answers, but instead scripture gives us the right questions to ask as we go through life, gives us glimpses of God's character that force us to ask questions in our own lives about how God is working in our lives. And I just wanted to prepare you that this evening, you're not going to walk away with clear answers but you are going to walk away with a question. So we're continuing our sermon series, looking at the gospel of Matthew chapters five through seven, select passages from what's called the sermon on the Mount, Jesus's instructions to his disciples. And we'll continue this sermon series tonight, looking at Matthew chapter five, verses 31 through 32. I invite you to hear the word of God. Jesus says, it was also said, Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of unchastity, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And please join me in prayer. Lord, you challenge us in the Sermon on the Mount. You give us this glimpse of a way of living life that's lived as one of your disciples. And we know that the challenge is a lofty one. And we know that all of us in some ways fall short of the challenge you lay out in the Sermon on the Mount. Despite our shortcomings, Lord, help us to still see your work in our lives. Help us to be aware of the work you are doing for each and every one of us, Lord. Speak to us now through these scriptures. We ask this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So when I was 16 years old, my parents sat me down and gave me the talk that many kids of my generation have received, saying that my dad was going to be moving out. They didn't know if they were going to get divorced right then, but they were going to separate and see. So for the first year of my dad living outside of the house, I hoped that they would 
pull it back together, that they would fix their relationship. It was a fairly naive hope, but I was also 16 years old, so being naive is appropriate then. In the second year, though, of my dad being separated from my mom and living outside of the house, I began to agree with my parents that out of all of the options, none of which were perfect or great options, them divorcing was probably the best out of all the realistic options. But what I learned in those two years, they eventually did divorce when I was 18. And what I learned in those two years is even when you can look back on a divorce, you can look back on it and say it was the best possible option there, it is still destabilizing. That was a difficult two years. It felt like everything was being shaken up. It wasn't easy at all. And divorce in our culture, in our world, and in our churches, it's common. It happens pretty regularly these days. Now, a few weeks ago, I asked all of you to go and to read Matthew 5 through 7. And I don't know how many of you did, but I'm sure that for at least a number of you, if you did that, when you got to this teaching, it raised some tension in you. I'm sure there's some people here also who just talking about this is raising a little bit of tension. Because we've all been affected by a divorce in some way. Either your parents divorced, either you have had a divorce. Your friends have. I know I have numerous friends who got married way too early. And though there was no adultery or cheating or anything like that, they realized after a few years it was just the wrong choice and they parted ways. About half my friends, I would estimate, are in that kind of a category. So we've all been affected by divorce. And there's all these emotions that are associated with it. And then you get to Jesus' teaching here. And it can sound harsh. It can sound judgmental. It can sound like it's condemning you. But I don't know if it actually is. And I think in order to understand the ways in which Jesus' teaching relates to our world today, we have to first look at the differences between Jesus' situation that he's in and the world we live in today. Because the truth is, when Jesus is talking about divorce and marriage, those are different institutions than what we think of today. So we have to look at Jesus' situation and look at it fairly closely here. When Jesus is talking about divorce, he's talking about it in a context that is different than our world. And we have to understand that and accept that. You may have noticed that in this teaching, Jesus is exclusively talking to men. He says to men, don't divorce your wife. And then when he talks about women, it's in a passive sense. If a man marries a woman who has been divorced, then it's still adultery. He's talking exclusively to men. The reason for that is it was impossible in Jesus's day for a woman to divorce her husband. It wasn't allowed. But a man could send his wife away for nearly any reason. He could divorce his wife for nearly any reason. 
And when you're thinking about Jesus's teachings, and when you come across one that seems harsh, I think you have to look at the question, what or who was most affected by what Jesus is addressing? And in Jesus's day, divorce, the people who are harmed the most by divorce, it actually wasn't necessarily children. It definitely wasn't men. It was women. Because marriage was different in Jesus's day also. When the Bible's talking about marriage, most often it's not talking about two high school sweethearts who grew up together and then after they go to college, they decide they want to spend their lives together. It's not talking about two people who in their late 20s meet through an online dating site and realize they want to spend their lives together. Marriage in the world of the Bible was usually an older man bargaining, negotiating with parents of a woman or what we might actually consider a girl and then she becomes his wife. Oftentimes, the older man, this would be his second or third marriage because his other wife had died or he had sent one away. So when you think about divorce and what Jesus is talking about here, the person who's harmed the most would be a woman. Because when she's sent away, she would experience a level of shame. There was a stigma attached to it. And all of the responsibility for the divorce would be on the woman. So it would be very difficult for her to have anybody taking care of her. It would be very difficult for her to get food, for her to have shelter, for her to have water. So that's the situation that Jesus is addressing here when he talks about divorce. So when we look at Jesus' response to this situation, in light of that, I think we can notice a couple of important things here. The first is that what Jesus is really doing with this teaching, the real thrust of this teaching, is that he's working in his culture to encourage men to understand that they actually bear the responsibility for the divorce also. In that situation, it was the man's decision in his, Jesus' culture, but the woman was the one who bore all of the negative effects of the divorce. And Jesus is helping them to understand, no, you are responsible also for this. In fact, that last line where Jesus says, if somebody marries a woman who's been divorced, then they commit adultery also. I think what Jesus is saying there is, if you send your wife away, you and you get remarried, you are then committing adultery. And then you're also causing her to commit adultery and the other man to commit adultery. He's pulling the responsibility back to the men in his culture who weren't taking that responsibility. When you understand that, you realize it's a little different than our culture today. There's some overlaps there, but it is a little different what Jesus is talking about. But this isn't the only place that Jesus addresses divorce. In fact, he addresses it in the Gospel of Matthew later on in Matthew chapter 19. And at this teaching that will come up on the screen here, I think we see at a deeper level what Jesus is really getting at, what he's trying to do when he's talking about divorce. In this teaching, Jesus says, male and female, they were created and they become one flesh. And let humans not separate what God has brought together. Jesus is pulling his ideas of marriage, of what it's supposed to be, back to creation to what God intended before the fall. 
And when you look at Adam and Eve's relationship closely, you realize that male and female were both created in the image of God. That there was a dignity to both male and female that was implied there, that was intended by God. And then you see that note, if you go back to Genesis, where it says that Eve was meant to be a helper to Adam. Some people have said that that means she's supposed to be a lesser partner or subordinate. That's not what that means. That's not what that Hebrew word points to. And we know that because there's other places in the Bible where that word helper that's used for Eve is used of God. So if you think that that means that somebody's supposed to be subordinate or lesser than, then you have to be saying that God is then subordinate or lesser than to us, and that makes no sense. But this vision of what marriage was supposed to be was one of two partners, equal, coming together in one flesh. In this teaching, Jesus is lifting up an ideal. He's lifting up what it was supposed to be. But the fall then happened. And while I think Jesus is trying to pull us back to some semblance of that original idea, we have to look around at the world and realize nothing about this world matches up with the ideal of what God intended. Every single one of us is going to carry a little bit of something that doesn't match up with the ideal of what God intended. And if we're really honest, we'll realize we all carry a lot of what God didn't intend for this world in ourselves. None of us lives up to the ideal. And in this teaching that Jesus is talking about, while I think he's trying to pull us towards that ideal, I think he also recognizes we're not going to do this perfectly. So the church has responded to the question of how do we handle people who have been divorced? And in different generations, the church has responded in different ways. Sometimes the church has asked the question, can somebody who's been divorced, who's experienced a divorce, can they be saved? The answer to that question is unequivocally yes. Because salvation doesn't rest in anything we've done or anything we haven't done. Salvation rests in the work of Jesus on the cross. So anyone who has experienced a divorce, who experienced pain of divorce, who has a friend or a family member who's been divorced and is wondering about their salvation or God's love for them, let me just say unequivocally, God loves them dearly and deeply, regardless of that. But then there's another question too of, and this is one that churches have debated even recently in the last few decades. Can someone who has been divorced serve in a church? Be a leader in a church? To that, my answer is unequivocally yes. If they have all of the other traits, if they have what the characteristics are for somebody who's going to bless the church, who's going to lead it and guide it, yes. Because ultimately with all of this, with all the Sermon on the Mount, with living the Christian life, ultimately it does not come down to anything that any of us have done. That's not what Christian faith is about. Christian faith is not about our works. It's not about what we've done. It's about God's work. And instead of asking the question, does X, Y, Z disqualify someone from something? We should be asking, how is God working to redeem each and every one of us? And what does God's redemption look like in all of our lives? 
Because the whole story of the Bible is about God redeeming things in our lives, in this world, in this creation. And there is no mistake that we could make that is greater than God's redemption. God's redemption is greater than any mistake any of us could make. Whatever it is, doesn't even have to be divorce, even though that's a topic Jesus presents us with. Whatever it is that you are carrying, there is nothing that is greater than God's redemption and God's ability to redeem something. And the truth of this also is, there's no harm we could have experienced that is greater than God's redemption. And that's the message of the cross. That's the message of the resurrection. When Jesus went there to the cross, when the sin of the world was put on Jesus, it was redeemed. Whatever we've experienced, whatever we've contributed to it, God works to redeem that also. I really don't like the questions of who's in and who's out, of who qualifies and who doesn't. Because I don't think that that captures what the Bible is trying to teach us. Scripture is constantly trying to force us to look at the work God is doing to redeem. And in anyone's life, whatever they've experienced, God's work of redemption is there, present. So I think the better question, and I said I was going to leave you all with a question. Whatever it is in your life, what is there in your life that God can redeem? What is there that is still left unresolved? What is there that God could come in and give you a level of redemption? Maybe it's connected to divorce. Maybe there's a child of yours that is getting divorced. Maybe you are in the midst of a marriage that feels like it's falling apart. Maybe you've been divorced. What can God do to redeem that? That, I think, is the question that we should always come back to at the end of the day. I mentioned that my parents were divorced when I was 18. And yeah, by the time I was 18, I came to the conclusion this is the best possible route for everybody. But we didn't know what it was going to look like long term. We didn't know who would still talk to whom. We didn't know who would stay in touch with whom, who would be connected. We didn't know if my parents would remarry. We didn't know any of that stuff at the time. But just this last uh, fall, my family got to celebrate my son's second birthday. And everyone was there. My parents with both of their spouses. They were together. My siblings and their spouses. My niece and my nephew. All sorts of other friends as well. We were all there together. And it was hard for me to not look at it and say, God has been working to redeem this for decades now. Let's never try to limit what God can and can't redeem in somebody's life. Let's never try to draw a boundary around somebody because they have something that's in need of God's redemption. Instead, let's constantly point to the work God is doing and help people see that God can redeem anything. Please join me in prayer. Lord, we know that you are a God of redemption. We know that you are a God who takes our mistakes, and we know that there are many mistakes that we all make, Lord. And we know that you work to redeem them. 
Lord, if any of us is carrying any sort of guilt, any sort of shame, may we lay that at your feet. Lord, we seek to be your disciples, and we know that if that means we have to be perfect, then you would have no disciples. But Lord, redeem us. Take those things that we place at your feet now, redeem them. Work in our lives, Lord, each and every one of us. We thank you. We praise you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.
There's a place where mercy reigns and never dies. There's a place where streams of grace flow deep and wide. flowing down at the cross. 